Hello and welcome to Page Parley. This is the show where we speak to the authors or experts on the work we read on scintillating stories. Today we're speaking to Cecilia Poulain, an author and podcaster about her writing, therapeutic practice and one-woman show. Thank you so much for coming to speak to me today. It's my pleasure. Uh, Would you mind starting by telling us a little bit about yourself? So I'm Australian. I've been living in Paris now for 26 years because my husband is French. I'm a lawyer by training and I currently work in finance, but I set up a coaching company in 2019. And so in my coaching, I'm empowering women to find their voice. A lot of women, I think, have problems with confidence and about uh, problems with their value. Mm. And so it's dealing, it's helping them to see that, no, they don't need to be perfect. And actually what they're doing is very fine, working on their voice, working on their presentation skills and working on their message. So, for example, this morning I was I was working with somebody. She's got this fantastic idea about how we should be dealing with the land. And she wants to write a book, but she just needs help in in structuring it. So we were working on that this morning. How lovely. You yourself are a writer and a performer. How did you get into writing? When I was a child, I was I was always reading. I mean, I remember once we went around to some friend's place uh, for lunch and I just remember sitting in the front room reading all, all day. <laughs> it was extremely <laughs> unsociable of me, but the, the book that I was reading was so gripping that I, there was just no option but to sit there and, and to read. And then I was, when I was young, I used to write little things, but nothing, nothing very major. Mm-hmm. And uh, I came back to writing about five years ago. I had been getting very frustrated about my work and about why wasn't my career going anywhere and I felt like I could be contributing more elsewhere and I was, I was very unsure about what, what to do. Mm-hmm. So I went to see a Gestalt therapist and... We talked a lot about frustration, about all sorts of things. And then one day she said, okay, well, take a piece of paper and then write down on the piece of paper all the things that an ideal career would involve. So I wrote down about 15 different things. And then she said to me, okay, well, choose one of them. <laughs> and so I, I got my pen and I went, um, uh, 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 writing. Mm-hmm. And so I circled writing and she said, Okay, there's a writing school in Paris called Aleph and they have a three-day introductory course. So why don't you go and see what what it's like? Mm. And so I did that. And I was sitting in a this basement. It's in Rue Saint-Jacques, which is not very far from Notre Dame, just mm. on, on the left bank. Mm. Um, it was not it was not a glamorous Parisian basement, I can tell you that. <laughs> So we were sitting there with 10 of us with the with the tutor and I just loved it. From the mm-hmm. very moment I walked in and the very first exercise, I, I it was just like, this is so obvious, this is just where I'm meant to be. I just loved it. Oh, so that's how I that's how I started. That's so lovely. So therapy did you find that helpful in your in your writing journey? I've also done a lot of group therapy, so with my therapist, and, and then there's another therapist as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so we meet once a month for a full day, 
and there's a lot of creativity involved um, on on those days. Not always writing, but there's been we've done some pottery, we've made masks, mm. um, we've made sculptures with you know human sculptures. We've done a lot of theatre. Mm-hmm. What, what's come back to me from those groups is every time I've done writing, mm. everyone really seems to like what I write. And it's also helped me just to write mm. and not, not be thinking too much. Mm. And I think the other, the other way therapy has helped me is that it's made me more aware of my emotions. Mm. And so when I write... I'm much more, I think I'm more aware of, well, what emotional journey is this character going on? Mm -hmm. So I can think about and more aware of thinking, well, if I'm frustrated, well, how does that actually feel? How does it feel in my body? What sort of images come up when I'm frustrated or if I'm sad or if I'm depressed? Um, Yeah, so it's, yeah, Fabulous experience if anyone listening has a chance to do Gestalt therapy. I thoroughly recommend it. <laughs> a great endorsement. And you mentioned uh, so the course you attended. What was what was that like? And and did do you think that uh, attending courses like that uh, would be helpful to new writers? Absolutely, absolutely. I loved. I've done so. I've done three courses with Aleph. So they were courses in French. Mm-hmm. And what I loved about them was that e- each week we would have an assignment and the assignment would be um, a-, a piece of writing of a famous writer who'd written in a particular way. Mm-hmm. And then we would have a, a number of a word limit and we would have a particular something, that, a particular task to do. So, for example, once we had to write without using um, a particular vowel or a particular letter, or you could choose not to write with a vowel. Oh, another one was the whole piece had to be a single sentence. Wow. <laughs> so how did, how did those exercises help? Did they make you think in different ways? What they made me realise was that you just need to have a starting point hmm. and that you once you've got that starting point, then the way I often work is I will write down all the ideas that are coming to me and the images that, that come to me. Mm. Um, and then, I'll go to, then I'll go to bed and then I'll let it all percolate somewhere, you know, in my subconscious somewhere or other. Mm-hmm. And then I'll get up the next morning and, and as I wake up, even before I get up, often it's, it's just writing itself in my head you know I can I can hear the words going just well this is the way it's got to be Mm -hmm. and then my job is just to get up and write that as faithfully as I possibly can from what I can see in my imagination Mm -hmm. and so it's it's almost like I'm not having the idea I just have to be faithful to what I can see that seems like a very mindful way of writing being aware like you said aware of the sensations in your body aware of aware of your emotions building and letting them be there and sort of exactly. just g- gently analyzing them yeah that's exactly right it's exactly mm. right mindfulness can mean lots of different things to lots of different people i mean i think of it as reading my imagination 
it's it's just there i can see what i need to i can see the images and my job is just to choose the words that are as precise as i possibly can to reflect those images and sometimes i realize that there actually isn't a word for what i want to say do i have to use a several several words or do i have to use an image that's like that and then i also because i'm i'm writing in english and french then sometimes there aren't words for example in in france if there's a word do so and that means both gentle and soft and so you can't say you can you can't say gentle and soft in french <laughs> oh, I, no, there must be a way, but I haven't. I haven't found it. I'm sure people uh-huh. who are um, more have more mastery of the French language would would know how to do. It. Uh, do you? Does your husband ever help you with that if you're writing in French? Do you ever run things past him? Yeah, I run everything past him. He's extremely patient, but he's also got a very good ear. So mm. he will say, "I'll read something to him," and he, then if he says. Mm, well, it's not quite there yet. Mm-hmm. You'll often have very good ideas about how to get it there. Uh-huh. And because he, he doesn't just say, oh, isn't that wonderful, mm-hmm. when he says, oh, I don't think it's there yet, then I know that I can trust his judgment. So then when he says, yeah, it's good, mm-hmm. then I know that I can be pretty, um, I, can, I can trust that judgment. And he's a, he's a very big reader too. So, yeah. oh, it's, that must be so wonderful to have a partner in a life partner that is not only supportive of your creative output, but it's actually really helpful in, in that because sometimes you can have a partner that is a hundred percent behind you, but has no idea what they're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And he's extremely, he's extremely helpful on that. And I'm also lucky that I have, um, I have two aunts who are very supportive and who read a lot of my things. My mother is as well. Mm-hmm. I've got, some very good family friends, my mother-in-law as well. So I'm surrounded by a lot of literary people who, who support me, which is, which is fantastic. Oh, that's so lovely. It's such a wonderful, supportive environment. Um, yeah. I was wondering, could you tell me a little about your one-woman show? Just to fill in from where I went from the LF, mm-hmm. um, the, the French writing school. So I did three courses with them over three months I, in fact, did a first one-woman show. I was in New Zealand and I was learning a song which was called Seduction. It's a very early Verdi song. And it was about this poor young girl who was seduced by some horrible man Mm -hmm. and uh, she felt pregnant and she was expecting to be, that, that they would get married and then that didn't happen. Mm. And so she ended up being shifted off to a, a, a monastery and then she, both she and her baby die. Mm. And so there was this incredibly, you know, terrible thing to happen to this, this young girl. Mm-hmm. And it all happens in the space of four pages. Um, <laughs> and, it's, and it's almost like Verdi has gone, boom, boom, here we go, and off she goes, and, and then she's dead. <laughs> oh. And so I was, I was walking in this most beautiful place in New Zealand and I suddenly thought, well, again, going back to what I'd learned from the LF, of, of, you just need to start from a point when you're writing. And I thought, well, there's my point. Um, 
there's this this song which needs with a story which is so unjust to this you know fictional girl mm. that it needs writing and so then I, I started writing from that and I wrote a first um, text which was the first part of it was the man knocking on her bedroom door and then thinking about how he'd stolen a kiss from her earlier in the day and then going into her room and she's, she's, she sits up and she's scared with what's happened. Mm-hmm. And then the next, the next part of it is her mother thinking about her as a little girl and then how she's, the daughter has come to her and told her what's happened and they wait and then they find out that she's pregnant and then she sees the carriage going, taking her daughter to the, to the monastery. And then the third part of it is um, the daughter in the monastery and she's basically bleeding to death and um, can see that her baby has been born. And she's been um, mm-hmm. So I started from there and then I did four other pieces from four different songs mm-hmm. um, and then sang the songs and, and read the pieces. Mm-hmm. So that was the first one woman show. And the feedback I got from that, well, I got two things. One is that was people in the audience what was so noticeable for me as the performer mm-hmm. was that when I was speaking people were absolutely intent on what I was saying mm. when I as soon as I started singing I lost their attention oh so I thought that's you know that's telling me something <laughs> and the other thing that they said is that I needed to have something that was a bit more continuous and something that was more a one one show with a with one line through it. Okay. And so from there I started thinking about, I I think a lot about the environment and I think a lot about human beings have created so many wonderful things, Mm. art and music and literature, and that if climate change can't be reversed, then all of that is just going to be there with nobody able to appreciate it. And it's all going to just start to, you know, the books are going to start to rot and yeah. there'll be nobody there to to read them or to look after them. And mm. so that was my starting point on the second One Woman show. Mm. And so, in fact, I wrote the, the last one first and the last one was about Mona Lisa looking out at the Louvre and that's exactly what's happening. So... Ah. There's the Tintoretto that's falling off the off the wall, and the Botticelli, the the canvas is coming out of the frame, and um, and she is really upset because she's seeing all this devastation, and she's saying, "Well, I'm here protected behind my plate glass, yeah. and um, it's not fair that I'm the only one that's going to watch everything falling falling apart around me." Mm. I think that is a lot of people's fear. They don't, if, I think a lot of people said, if, when, if I have to go, I want to go first. Yes. Because there's, it's, it's worse to watch someone you love or people that you love dying. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So that was the last, that was the last um, piece in it. And it was a series of nine short stories. And I call it the smallest of moments. Mm-hmm. And 
it was really just moments in the history of the world that I felt like writing about. (laughs) 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 There wasn't much more to it than that. (laughs) Hey, that's a Um, good one. So the first one was a father and his daughter, and they're up in outer space somewhere. Mm. And she says to his, she says to her father, you know, what's that green ball? And and uh, he says, oh, that's the earth. And she says, why is it blue and green? He says, oh, it's because it's got air and water. And then she says, what air and water? And you go, on, they go on like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, then the second one is, uh, or the third one is um, the first bacteria that splits, and <laughs> they. So one of them says to the other one, oh, welcome to the world. And then the other one says, well, what are you saying welcome to me for? Because I was here <laughs> the same time as you. <laughs> and then they start having this little dispute and then then, then they keep splitting. And so then one of them says, oh, well, I'll have to, we'll have to give each other names because otherwise we're, not, we're, never going, we're never going to get out of this. And so they start saying, well, I'll be one. And then the other one says, well, why are you one? <laughs> I was one. <laughs> oh. <laughs> And then there's another one that's very funny. It's about a um, like a pre-human species. I don't know what you would call it. Um, and they had very big jaws so that they could eat roots. Mm. And so he's he's digging a roots, and he says, you know, that's my whole life. I dig, and then I chew, and then I dig, and then I chew. And he's getting all upset about how his ancestors would have eaten fruit, and um, and then he wasn't he wasn't allowed to eat fruit, and then. The people who his descendants are going to be living in houses and how sleeping in beds and you know, mm-hmm. how bad his life is. Oh. And then he sees, then he sees a female coming across the um, across the savanna and he says, "Oh, maybe life isn't." She's got this fantastic, massive jaw, mm. and he says, "Oh, maybe life isn't so bad after all." <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's always perspective. <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely. And then I did it in a theatre in Paris. We had, um, I got a composer to write some music for it. Mm-hmm. He, wrote, he wrote music to accompany each of the uh, the scenes. Mm-hmm. And then we had over 100 people in the theatre, so it was, it was fun. Oh, wow. That's fantastic. Mm, yeah. I asked everybody I knew if they could come. <laughs> as the, as you should yes i think i think like the, you're not a proper artist until you've absolutely harangued all of your friends and family <laughs> exactly exactly and you mentioned uh, getting feedback from the first show how that helped you improve the second one so did, did do you find feedback uh helpful and and how do you go about incorporating that when you get it um Feedback can come in different forms. Mm. One thing that I'm learning now um, as a coach mm. is to, and as setting up a new business, is what it means to deal with fa- with failure. So I do things and I'm starting to realise what it means not to be perfect. So I do things and I think that was really bad, um, you know, <laughs> that really bombed. Mm. Um and now my mindset is becoming much more not, oh, gosh, that's, that was hopeless, hopeless, hopeless. It's becoming much more, okay, well, what did I, what did I learn from that? Mm. And by coaching, I, I'm starting to learn how to not just know that intellectually, which I think is easy, but to really do it. And for my writing, feedback can come in different forms. So it can be just 
general comments or it can be I'll actually ask people. So, for example, one of my aunts is a very good writer and she has been fantastic in really going through my texts and, and making detailed comments. I'm writing a novel at the moment and I have a, a tutor in this writer's studio in, in Sydney mm. and I have a tutor through that. Um, and I think it's absolutely vital, in fact, to have somebody there who's got your back, who knows about story structure, who knows about writing and is able to give you the feedback and just take, stop, stop. For me, it's a question of not being lazy and not being <laughs> glib and not, not, not just slipping over the easy bits. It's mm. about having someone saying, oh, bop, 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 bop. You know, that's, this is the, this is where you need to be digging deeper and, this is where you need to be showing more of what's happening physically or this is where you need to be showing how the character's feeling. Bad feedback is often, or bad between inverted commas, is often more useful than good feedback. Mm. And I find that sometimes it's actually more useful to say it's good and mm -hmm. I would have really liked it if you could have or I was, I was curious about and I would have really liked it if you could have. And, and actually... Have con have constructive criticism that pushes pushes me further. I, mm -hmm. I that's what I need. Yeah. Oh, definitely. I um, anyone who's listened to our podcast with any kind of regularity will know my very good friend uh, Katrina Scott, who is a playwright, and uh, I I have learned so much just from talking about our creative process together. And she and another friend of mine, uh, Ellis, uh, Ellis Jameson, are invaluable whenever I try and write anything. The, f the first thing I do once I've done a first draft is send it to the two of them and just go, okay, mm. please just tear it apart. I, I want to know. Uh, and they and they, they do it in the most gentle way. They know me, so they know how mm. to they know how to dissect me and then put me back together. And it's really mm. so helpful. <laughs> and I suspect too that what I find is that when you do it for other people, you you learn a huge amount. So I think they're probably learning from you as much as you're learning from them. Mm -hmm. It's such a lovely, virtuous cycle. <laughs> mm. Mm. And that's what well, that's what I'm learning in my coaching as well. That um, the more I coach, the more I say, "Oh, hang on, am I doing that? Oh, no, I'm not. Oh, perhaps I should be doing that as well." <laughs> uh, so, do do you find that creativity comes up a lot in your in your coaching conversations? Yes, it does. It does a lot. Mm. In in two ways, really. Um, one is because when I'm speaking to my clients, I will sometimes have an image that comes to mind which illustrates exactly what I'm trying to say. So, for example, I had a client who was working on her public speaking mm. and wasn't sure how to structure it, and she had a tendency to just um, go into meetings and, you know, wing it. Mm -hmm. And so then I had this image coming into my mind of a Japanese garden with stones mm. or statues and that each of her messages was one of these statues which needed to be beautifully crafted. Mm. And so that was, yeah, that was an example of how 
I use my imagination. And the other way I use it is I get my clients to be imaginative and to use their own creativity. I, I wanted to ask a little about your, your current project uh, that you're working on. You mentioned uh, the lives and loves of a woman. Yeah, so that's um, the lives and loves of a, a woman is, is a, a Schumann song cycle. And it's eight songs um, about a woman who falls in, she sees a man, thinks he's the best thing she's ever seen in her life, Mm. falls in love with him. Um, He then falls in love with her. They get married. They have a baby. And on the very last song, he dies. Mm. Um, And you don't know why he dies or how he dies. You just know that he's dead. And so I, I, it was a bit following the same idea as my first one-woman show, which I did at my house. Mm. Um, So I worked on lots of different drafts of it and it's ended up being her singing as a 19th century woman who doesn't have a name. And so I start off saying... Bonjour, comme tu t'appelles? So, hi, hello, what's your name? And then she says, I don't have a name. Oh, I said, oh, how come you don't have a name? Mm. Oh, because you don't exist. Oh, well, that's a good reason. <laughs> uh, and then I give her a name and I say, well, you know, a, a 19th century, the name of a 19th century German woman, what could that be? And so then I go through a number of names and then I say, well, I'll call you Clara. And I, I say, well, you know, Clara, I was hesitating about that name because it's the name of the composer. Mm. And so it's the, the way that the it goes is that there's a song and then it's me as 20th century or 21st century me responding to what she's sung about. Mm. And so it talks about... Um, it talks about feminism because in, at some points she's saying, you know, this man is, he's a star in the heavens. He's, and it's just so over the top. And I was saying, do you, you know, do you really think that? <laughs> um, and it's also about well, why, why did this poet and this composer, why were they writing about a woman? Why weren't they writing about a man? Um, and that maybe that was a best, too sensitive for them as men to be writing about that. It was easier for them to write about a woman. And so, yeah, we, uh, it talks about death, it talks about life, it talks about creativity. It's such an interesting topic as well to have a conversation with somebody who their experiences are not entirely alien but will be quite different. It's, I think a lot of a lot of science fiction talks about how, well, if I could have a conversation with somebody from from that time period, what would it be like? And obviously yeah. time travel. But I suppose that working, by working with songs that were written by somebody uh, several hundred years ago, you are collaborating with that person. So I, I always love that. I love it when people do stuff like that because it feels like a collaboration across time and space. Exactly. And in fact, that's one of the things I say. It's um, you've been created by the poet mm. and by the composer mm. and to a certain extent by me. And I finish by saying, I'll stay in my 21st century and I'll let you go back to your 19th century. Mm. And um, 
and I know you're going to be okay because your sisters are there to look after you and mm. um, and I wish you all the best, um, Clara, who exists and who doesn't exist. That's so beautiful. That is so touching and lovely. Do you have any advice for people who are who are coming into writing or are relatively new to it? First of all, be regular about it. Mm. And just set a time every day and do it that time every day, even if it's 100 words, 200 words, it doesn't matter. Mm. It's just a, it's a practice. The other thing I would say is don't be too hard on yourself and write junk. You really, really need to write junk. And I find that I would write something and as I'm, as I'm writing it, I'll be going, this is useless. This is so <laughs> bad. I can't believe how bad it is. Mm. And then I'll say, well, I'll just get to the end of it. doesn't matter. Mm. And then I'll come back to it the next day and it's actually not that bad and it's actually a lot better than I expected. Mm. And even if it is awful, it gives me, I, I have actually created a scene, you know, something has actually happened and the characters have actually said something and reacted to something. Mm. And, and so even if it's appallingly awful, which it is sometimes, <laughs> it still is something to react against mm. and say, okay, well, clearly, clearly that's not what was meant to happen now. And so this is what was meant to happen now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you need that period of writing awful, awful, awful stuff without judgment. And writing is not the Having ideas is not the same as writing, is not the same as editing and making it perfect. They're, they're different steps in the writing process. Thank you so much for coming to speak to us. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Thank you, Rosie. Well, the the pleasure is mine. Thank you so much for listening. You can hear more from Cecilia on her podcast. I'll leave a link in the show notes. If you want to suggest or submit a short story or a subject you'd like us to cover, then contact us through our Facebook page or Twitter and subscribe if you would like to hear more. This has been a Yorick Radio production.